0: As I said, this is not your typical Sunday. Um, We are not in church, obviously. We are at home because of the ice and the snow and and the bitter cold. And uh, you're probably maybe still in your pajamas. Maybe you're in your bed. Maybe you're in your living room. Maybe you're at the table with your family. Hopefully you've brushed your teeth and hopefully you've had your coffee. Uh, And I I was just thinking about how inconvenient this whole thing can be, especially if you're at the grocery store and it was full. I was at the grocery store and there were no carts left and all the bread and the eggs were gone. And I still haven't figured out why we buy bread and eggs when it snows, but we do. Um, And in thinking about Christmas, as we start our Christmas series for two weeks called A Not-So-Silent Night, I was thinking about the reality of Christmas and uh, our current picture of Christmas contrasted with the reality of the first Christmas. You know, when I, I think of Christmas now, what comes to mind is it's the most wonderful time of the year and that song and the lights and the... And the cookies and the gifts and just the whole ambiance of Christmas, it just really makes you feel good. It makes your heart feel warm. But if you think about the reality of the first Christmas, there had never been a Christmas. There wasn't anything to reflect on. And, and the, the true reality of Christmas is really a statement about humanity, a statement concerning the condition of humanity. Maybe you could even say it's an indictment on humanity and the fact that we needed saving, the fact that we can't save ourselves, the reality that no matter how deep we look within us, There's nothing in us that can save us, and Jesus coming to this earth is a statement that we need a Savior, and he came in the form of a baby. And you think about that first Christmas, the situation and circumstances surrounding it. Mary and Joseph are probably teenagers. Mary is probably 13, 14 years old, and how she became pregnant is is pretty interesting of a story, and I bet nobody really believed it, and they couldn't find any place to stay and the fact that they had seen an angel and had told them this story that the baby in her belly would save the world. It really is, is an interesting story when you think about it, and, and when you really read it and consider the details, it, it's not something that's fairy-tale-ish. It's not something that we can just accept because we've always read it. I think it begs us to think about it more deeply and to really consider the implications that it has for us. So today, what I want to talk about is the reality of Christmas. That's the the title of my of my message or my talk this morning with you. And I just want to look at two of the most prevalent symbols uh, of Christmas, and that are is lights and gifts. You know, lights are everywhere. We see lights. We put them on our tree. We put them on our homes. We we uh, go to Santa's magical kingdom and are in all in wonder of the lights. They're in candles in the windows. Lights at Christmas are everywhere, and they're radiating from everything. And gifts. I mean. That's what we spend our money on, and we hope to get gifts. And we have a whole uh, story about Santa and him bringing gifts, that if we're good, we'll get gifts. And if we're not good, we may get a lump of coal. And it's all wrapped around this idea of a gift. And you think about that, and that really, too, is the reality of Christmas, about a gift coming to the world. But first, lights. I want you to consider the symbol Of lights. And have you ever asked yourself, uh, why are lights symbolic or why are they so prevalent at Christmas time? And if you think about it even deeper, I was thinking, why are we so drawn to lights? Why do we we love lights so much? I mean, we love to look at the moon, we love to see the sunset, we love uh, to see the lights in the sky. I mean, we are inherently and almost intrinsically drawn to light. And when you think about it, Jesus, he made this incredible statement in John 8, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. And the fact that Jesus would say that he's the light of the world, when you think about that in reference to what light itself does, like the sunlight, that light is the source of all life, the source of truth, and the source of beauty, I think about the fact that we are, long to see light and are so drawn to light because we want truth. We want life and we want beauty in our own lives and that's why we're drawn to that. I think that's part of the reason why we like driving around and looking at Christmas lights. I mean, Carson, he's five and he just wants to drive around and look at different houses and go to subdivisions and see the lights and he can't quite yet understand why. But I think about the fact that I never really asked the question, why am I drawn to light so much? And I think it comes back to that reality that we all as human beings, as Billy Graham would say, have a god shaped size hole in our heart that we need to fill, and we need the source of all life and all truth and all beauty to fill that, and that was Jesus. Now, I talked about what was the reality of that first Christmas. Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 8. Um, this is the prophet Isaiah looking forward into the future, writing about Jesus, the Savior that would come to not just save the, the Hebrew people, but would be the Savior of all people. And here's what he has to say. Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who, will, who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth. But wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Chapter 9, it says this, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever, And the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. What Isaiah is saying here, and he wrote this hundreds of years before Jesus would come, and it's a prophecy about Jesus. He is describing the spiritual condition of the world. The world in which Jesus came to was full of darkness, darkness in the form of hopelessness and despair. And you have to remember that that between the closing of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there was a 400 year span there where God did not speak through any of his prophets at all. The people who were following God had not heard from him and been in silence. And they were longing to hear God speak or move again. And in comes Jesus. And again Isaiah writing hundreds of years before says That Jesus coming into a spiritually dark place will be a great light. That the darkness will not last forever. And what's amazing about this is it's not just a salvation for the Hebrew people and the Jews. It's a salvation for all people. As I said before, part of the reason why we're so drawn to light is because the lack of light that is inside of us. Not physical light, but spiritual light, which is life and truth and beauty. And we long for that. The reality of the first Christmas was that it was a dark place spiritually. And the light and salvation, truth and beauty came in the form of a baby. The reality of Christmas is this, and let me read to you this quote from Tim Keller, who is an author and a pastor. He says this, here's what the reality of Christmas means. It means illumination and spiritual light from God. It means reconciliation and peace with God by grace. It means God taking on a human nature. And that's what Jesus did. That's what God did. God's ultimate response to the condition of humanity was to come down and not only experience it for himself, but take on that darkness and the guilt and the condemnation all of all that on himself so that he could put his light in us and reveal to us the truth and the grace and the beauty of who he is. And So that's the first one. That is, the, that is light. The second thing I want to talk to you about is gifts and gifts are almost everything about Christmas I mean we save all year I mean we're supposed to save all year for gifts and then we go out and we get stressed out about having to wait in lines and buy gifts and we wonder if people are even going to want the gifts that we buy I personally think it's just easier to give people money or a gift card then they can really get what they want but some people don't like that I do however so if you want to get me a gift just give me a gift card or money um, rather than trying to figure it out but gifts I mean they are truly they're fundamental to Christmas you think about the wise men and the gifts that they brought Jesus and the reality is, is that no one ever told them to bring a gift. They just brought a gift for Jesus. But I want to look beyond the gifts that we buy or the gifts that we get or even trying to bring a gift to God. I want to look at the gift that is Christmas in and of itself and that is the gift of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the greatest gift to this world that the world has ever seen or will ever see. And the only appropriate response to a gift is receiving, a reception of a gift. But it's not always easy to receive a gift, especially if you're getting a gift in the form of uh, to compensate for an area that you couldn't afford. Maybe someone's helping you with your mortgage. Maybe uh, somebody's helping you with your car. Maybe you couldn't afford to buy gifts for your family. and That's a shot at your pride. That, That requires you acknowledging an area of deficiency in your life. And if we're honest, that's the gift of Jesus. You know, there's a difference between advice and news. If I were to give you advice, it would be totally predicated on you doing something. You would have to appropriate that advice for it to be activated in your life or for it to be useful. And it would be fully contingent upon you and your actions and your ability. Now, news is totally different with, than advice because news has already happened. It's already something that someone else has done. And the only thing you can do with news is to receive it. You know, the reality of Christmas and, and the gift of Christmas in Jesus, at its core, it's not about advice. It's not about you living better or you doing something that makes someone else happier or meeting their need. Well, those things are good. The, re- the gift of Christmas, the reality of Christmas is a statement concerning our condition with God, that we are, we're at odds with him. That no matter what we do, no matter how much money we give, or how many gifts that we buy for other people that aren't our family, um, nothing, nothing that we do, nothing that we possess can put us back in right relationship with God except for receiving the gift of Jesus and experiencing what Christmas is truly about. I say all of that to say that the gift of Christmas requires us to acknowledge something. And let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 9. I want to read verses 6 and 7. For some of you this is pretty familiar and and for some of you maybe it isn't. But here's what Isaiah has to say about Jesus. It says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. When you hear those verses, you hear that there's four statements that Isaiah makes concerning the character of Jesus. And more than just the character, his identity. In verse 6, Isaiah says this, that he will be called, who's he? Jesus. Jesus will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. When I hear those four things, I hear four amazing gifts given to this world, all in one person. That Jesus, born as a baby, the moment that he came into this world, the world had a wonderful counselor. That God himself, mighty God, and it's capitalized in the scriptures, that he's the everlasting father. There's no beginning and there is no end, and he's the prince of peace. Now, How many of you this Christmas season would say, I could use some peace? And you know, when we think of Christmas, we think of ho, 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 Santa Claus. But really, I think we should probably realize that for a lot of people, instead of ho, 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 it's more whoa, whoa, whoa. We've all lost family members, friends. There will be financial realities of our lives are stacking on us At the end of the year. We have taxes, do all these things. And while we want to enjoy Christmas, sometimes even having enough money to put on a Christmas meal is difficult. And yet Jesus comes in this earth in the form of a baby to two teenage kids in an earth that is, is full of darkness and hopelessness. And the scriptures tell us that he is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Makes me think of what Paul said when he says that we have a peace that passes and transcends all understanding and guards our heart and mind through Christ Jesus. That's who God is. That although the world was dark and broken and hopeless and was that way because of the decisions that we made, that God's ultimate plan was to fundamentally interrupt the world and send a baby who was the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. As I said before, Christmas, it's about gifts, but it's not about the gifts that you buy. It's not about the gifts that other people get you. It's about the gift of Jesus and whether you receive that gift. When I, when I hear those statements, I automatically understand, as you probably do too, that those statements concerning Jesus, they demand a response. And not just those statements, but Christmas in and of itself demands a response from you and me. And a response that's greater than, oh, that's a great story. Or, I like Jesus. Or, I think he was a good person. Or, I have a manger scene. Or, I believe in Christmas because I get gifts. No, no, no. The question of Christmas The response that it demands is a response from your life. And you say, what is that response? Well, I want to talk about that response next week. The response that we have to give to Christmas. But I want to read to you just one final thing about Christmas. About this gift of Christmas. Let me read to you this quote. It says this, There has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God Himself could save us. That means you are not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life. To accept the true Christmas gift, you have to admit you're a sinner. You need to give up control of your life. That is descending lower than any of us really wants to go. Yet Jesus Christ's greatness is seen in how far down He came to love us next week we'll talk more about your response to christmas and what it should be and what it could be but before we go today What I want to do is I want to pray with you, but I also would like for you to pray with me. You know, tomorrow we're going to be going to a prison over in Pacific, and uh, we're going to be handing out these bags. Actually, we're going to be handing out 1,200 of these bags. I'm going to go in the morning with uh, Pastor Brian, and we're going to do the solitary confinement unit, and then I'm going to go back tomorrow evening with a group of guys, and we're going to do the rest of the prison. And I can't tell you uh, what the experience is like to do this. A few years ago, I was doing it for the first time and I was scared because I've never been in prison um, for something I did. I've been there on purpose, but never on an accident. And I was in the solitary unit and I'm just trying to get through I was a little scared. And all of a sudden I hear from behind me, hey, Earls, what are you doing in here? And now to call me Earls, you'd have to go all the way back to high school and specifically football. And I turn around and there was a guy that I played football with standing in the cell and in that moment it became real no longer were they just prisoners behind a door they were true people and i shook his hand and i said what are you doing in here and he told me and i handed him these bags and Last year it was so neat, we prayed over these bags, and there was a guy that came down to the front, lifted up his shirt, and he had a tattoo on his back, and he said, hey, you probably don't know me. And I said, you're right, I don't know you. He said, I just want you to know I was in that prison when you came through and handed me a bag, and you will never know how much that means. So we had a group of people here yesterday putting these together. I'd love for you to just to, to stretch a hand towards the screen as we pray for this, but I'm also going to pray for you as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to just have the technology to be able to do this experience you in our homes. We just pray over these bags that we're going to be giving out tomorrow. Lord, I pray that every bag that we hand out as the moment it touches the hands of those those young men and those older men in that prison. They sense your love. They sense your compassion, that they would know that someone cares about them. I pray that through this bag and literature that's in it, I pray they come to know who you are, as we talked about Christmas they come to know the reality of Christmas the gift that is the wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace and we thank you for what you will do in the lives of those men at that prison, Lord I pray for everyone else uh, that is just watching this morning, Lord I pray the reality of Christmas would be so real in them, that they would experience you Jesus in a way that maybe they haven't felt or they haven't experienced in a long time I pray that, Lord, you would be their Prince of Peace in this Christmas season, that peace that passes and transcends all understanding and guards their heart and mind through Christ Jesus. We pray it in His name. Amen. Well, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed it. I know it was just a little bit different. But I want to remind you before we go, just a couple things. Number one, next Saturday at 4 p.m. is our Christmas Eve family service. So go ahead and invite your friends, invite your family, uh, invite the people in the drive-thru, Starbucks, whatever. Uh, don't forget to tell them about the New Faith Kids Center. It will be open as well for ages zero to kindergarten. And we're going to have a great time. Also, if you want to participate with us financially today, you can do so. Just click the link right below me uh, to do that. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next Saturday.